2: and welcome to this week's very special episode of the Proper Class podcast coming at you live from Hoxton Hall baby make some noise
3: hoxton Woo-hoo! We are very pleased to say that we are here as part of Hoxton Hall's class season, encouraging and challenging conversations about what class means in the 21st century. Yes, so
2: behave yourselves, everyone, please, and keep it classy. I mean, I know half of you is, so I don't know why I'm even asking, I dread to think. We are, of course, your hosts for this evening. I am Laura Checkley. And I am Hannah Chiswick. And as usual, we are here to celebrate all things working class, because if we don't... Who's oh my god we fucking rehearsed that who the bloody hell will it's a catchphrase it will catch on it won't
3: absolutely flogging a dead horse. As always, we sit down with a working class hero to celebrate their life and achievements and discuss just how they got to where they are today. And on that note, who are we celebrating in this special live podcast, Law?
2: Me, only joking. No, I'm really thrilled that we've uh, managed to bag this incredibly talented man. He is a comedian, writer and a presenter. In 2017, he was nominated for the prestigious Best Newcomer Award at the Edinburgh Festival. Since then, he has gone on to become one of comedy's biggest hitters, gigging all over the UK to sell out crowds.
3: In 2019, he was nominated yet again for his sellout show, Good Heart Ute, which made him the first black Brit to be nominated twice. And in fact, he's still the first black Brit to have been nominated twice. I the right. only one. Yep. Wow. That show went on to become a series for Radio 4 called Black Label. He's also a regular face on panel shows such as Mock the Week, The Last Leg, 8 Out of 10 Cats, Great British Bake Off, Extra Slice, The Apprentice, You're Fired, and Don't Hate the Players, to name but a few. But one of his biggest gigs to date surely has got to be hosting the prestigious Live at the Apollo. He was then given
2: his own stand-up special for Comedy Central and has also turned his hand to presenting too in Dave's travelogue British as Folk and The Dog Ate My Homework for CBBC. I have to concentrate when I say that because I always say too many BBBCs. <laughs> and not content with being all over our telly boxes, you can also hear him on the old wireless too, that's the radio for the youth out there, in shows such as News Jack Unplugged, the Now Show and BBC
3: Radio 5 Live. But surely his biggest achievement to date has got to be being immortalised in a mural in Birmingham which celebrates the city's rising stars. He's also currently the face of the West Midlands, yeah, encouraging people to come to Brum for the Commonwealth Games. And he told me just before we started this recording that if you go within a 200-mile radius you will, of Birmingham, you will literally see his face at every single train station.
2: He is described as a British Richard Pryor and one of the most exciting comedians on the circuit in this country. Please, everyone, go insane. Give it up for the tremendously talented and hilarious Darren Harrier!
4: What an intro. Oh. I know, right? Oh, man, that was like a eulogy. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> that was great. Oh, how oh. does it
2: fit? We always ask our guests how it feels here in really nice things said about you because I know uh, being a working class girl myself I know a lot of people feel like that anyway when you, people are saying nice things about you you kind of just
3: go oh no not me I was like
4: Wow, I did that yeah right <laughs> <laughs> whoa what a ride
3: <laughs> it is a strange thing it's like our version of this is your life are you too young to remember this is no, your life no
4: I remember it that big red book yeah, it, yeah. Go, dun, 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 dun. I always wondered you what was in it though you a paedophile <laughs> That literally what happened. 90% of them were Operation U Tree guys.
2: <laughs> what, was, what was in the red book? Was it just photos Nothing. of people they like once knew? Do, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, no. Oh, that's really disappointing. Yeah, they, they gave it to that, them. At the always end. act
4: like it was like a surprise as well. Yeah. I was like, yeah, no, you yeah. agreed to have your mum here. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, you're here, mum? What? <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was an interesting. I think we don't really need that anymore because we've got social media in it. It's
3: just constant, uh, this is your life. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. It doesn't really have the same. This is your Twitter feed. We start every week by asking our guests if they could take us back to a place that reminds them of their working class past. If you were going to take us somewhere, where would you take us? Where are we going?
4: Um, Reminds me of my working class past. All right. Uh, It'd have to be, obviously, in the black country, where I'm from. Um, I always think of my school as being... Like, it always felt really working class. But maybe it was because everybody I knew was working class. And really, really, it was very middle class. The reason I mentioned my school is I always remember just like free school meals. I was always on the free school meals. And I always thought that the free school meal kids were the coolest because we yes, didn't did too yeah, we, yeah. Didn't, we didn't have a lot I didn't want a
2: pat lunch ah oh, pat lunch come on I was so bored of my fucking pat lunch oh. I so wanted one of those dinners oh
4: yeah get lost with your what's that oh Dairy yeah. Lee <laughs> I know oh, oh, your, your mum's got her shit together yeah. <laughs> to make sandwiches in the morning nah no, I didn't like that at all yeah we used to get the tokens and I just remember we'd all sort of queue up and get our little tokens and it was like yeah. you know chip burger and chips for I think it was like a pound back then, or whatever. And um, yeah, I just remember, like, I, the reason I went to school is I remember we were, you know, quite poor, you know, sort of growing up. It was a lot of like, there was a catalogue called Kay's Catalogue. Sure. Oh, that God, my yeah. Used. That was like, that was it. It was like, right, birthday's coming up, Kay's Catalogue. What do you want? And it was always based on. She
3: loves a catalogue. Don't you still no, use no, a catalogue? No, literally, somebody <laughs> asked me the other day, where did you get your dress? And I said, it's from very out the Littlewoods catalogue. And they were like, <laughs> Where did you actually get it? <laughs> and I was like, from the Littlewoods catalogue. I didn't think
2: I didn't think it was still going.
4: I've got I, to say, I know very uh, That's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. Is, is that's part of the
3: Littlewoods catalogue.
4: But that's, that's right, yeah. part of the. Li- yeah.
3: yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't know that. <laughs> and I'm the only person I think who they still send a physical catalogue. to. So uh, yeah, I'm like, I'm catalog.
4: <laughs> that's so that's so mind blowing to me that you the Littlewoods. It's like saying, oh, where did you get that from? I got it from ASOS as a part of the worldwide net. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, yeah, I actually go through the whole thing. Yeah, no, I
4: like it. Yeah, so, yeah, so I remember my mum would say, you know, what do you want? And it was like, one, you know, oh, oh, it's got to be a new coat. It's got to be this coat that we got to get school because when, you know, we, me and my friends, we used to sort of value having the right clothing, trying to look sure. cool, even though we couldn't afford it. So I mean, my mum definitely went into debt. You know, she'd buy us like a ninety-pound coat in two thousand and one, but it was. She'd have to pay like three pounds a week. Yeah. And obviously, you know, the interest on it. And sometimes by the time she'd paid it off, oh, no. it was already ripped or.
2: Yeah. He needed another one. Yeah. He <laughs> needed yeah.
4: another one. And I just remember everybody I hung about with was at the same kind of level as, as, as us in terms of like money and all that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, it, it, I, I get really prideful about it because I just know that. We made the best of a, a bad situation, I mm-hmm. guess, in a way. Yeah. Like, I knew we didn't have a lot of money, but I never really felt like I didn't, probably because everybody else was kind of in a similar position as us. But then, you know, there was clear distinctions. Like, the, back when I was a kid, there was a, a pair of shoes called Rockports that you even...
3: That, yeah. minute, oh, what, hold yeah. on, what? Yeah. They, were,
4: they, they were called Ruckports, right? And they rat, were...
2: Ratports? rat! <laughs>
4: rockports and they range from 150 pounds to 260 pounds
2: trainers.
4: They're school shoes oh, these is the thing they were school yeah. shoes so it was classic you get these you keep them all all your life could i could not afford rockports at all and then uh, certain people who were free school meals would get rockports and they'd be, and oh. they're, and they're, but they, but it, their mom was like in debt because they just had to do it to keep them cool my mom was like i can't i can't get into any more like, I can't pay £250 for trainers. There's no way I can afford it. And then a shoe came out <laughs> called the Wallaby. I was
1: going to say I wallaby. loved
4: the Wallaby. Of course, cool. I had a suede pair. Uh, the Wallabies came, because, yeah, Wallabies are old. They came back, like, big time, 2002, 2003 for me. And they were £20 from Bacon Shoes. Bacon Shoes. <laughs> So and you can the best part was all the kids with the rock ports went, no, we need to get wallabies now. So we were all on the same Are you, are level. you
2: telling me you made wallabies cool again? Oh, Is that so
4: cool. I was like, <laughs> thank you, 20 quid. Just seeing these kids throw away their like 180 pound rock ports to wear wallabies sort of leveled the playing field for us for at least two years.
2: It's really interesting you talk about, you know, mums and dads spending too much, way more money than they've actually got. To turn you out well, I think we were talking about this the other day on another podcast. Um, and I know it was the case with like my family that you know we we kept our trainers super clean, everything was ironed within an inch of its life because that's how you perceived someone to have money. They turned themselves out well, and it's just interesting to hear you say that because turning yourself out well is really important in a working class upbringing and environment, isn't it?
4: Completely. It's um. So is, uh, some people call it call it flossing, where it's like We might not own our house. We, you know, you come into our house, there might not be uh, wallpaper on the walls necessarily. Uh, The couch might be a little bit beaten up. Tell you one thing though, the kids, when they're on the street, you don't know that. That That was like our house. That was like our house. When we walked out and we looked good, people would go, oh, because you'd get respect. Yeah, you'd be treated right. well. If you didn't look good, you'd be, you know, you'd look down on. And, you know, uh, and people would probably treat you a little bit differently. Yeah, so you course. all kind of had to keep this uniform look. And, but we all knew that as long as we looked good when we left, fine. Doesn't matter about everything else at the house. Because uh-huh. nobody else knows except yeah, us. yeah. So that was so important for us, just how our externals go into school and just how we looked.
3: And so, like, how was school in general? Did you enjoy it? Did you have a good time? Was it a happy mm. experience or...?
4: It was a, it was a, it was a yeah. I mean I don't think I enjoyed it in terms of lessons and classes. Sure. Why i am a comedian? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to do any of this stuff, man. Were you funny um, at
2: school? Did you did you use that like a lot? I was very funny at school.
4: So me and my friends we, we got into like hard grime music and garage music, right? So then we like formed our own gang and started making music and all that, which which doubly added to like wanting to be cool and tough because you Oof. can't. Can't be the gang and not look cool, you know? Yeah, Come yeah. on, what are we? not that's stock. So, in your wallabies. Yeah, my, my
2: wallabies,
4: man. <laughs> and uh, I remember I didn't enjoy any lessons except drama. Drama was the only one that I was into. Wow, there's a
2: load of actors in. <laughs>
4: it was like a light bulb going off when I did drama. Um, and I'll never forget this. I, I, I should bring this up to my mum. So my mom, you know, she's a good egg man. Hardest working woman I know. But she knew. She had two boys. Me and my, my brother is two years older. And she, her thing was, don't really care about your grades. Just try and stay in school. Mm-hmm. And don't be in trouble. Because my mom was one of the, you know, classic. I just don't want them phoning me about your behavior or anything. <laughs> just like, just do what you want. But just don't bring it to me. Right? <laughs> anyway, I remember parents evening. And there was a drama teacher. whose name was Mr. Ed, Mr. Edmondson. I wish I knew his first name. You know, you don't know a teacher's first oh, name. You know, like, you know.
0: ah.
3: <laughs>
4: Mr. Edmondson, right? And we really connected. We did drama. I was loving it. And at this time, I was still like, acting like I was in a gang. About a year before that, I was carrying a knife around. It was that sort of thing. But then I was, buddy, acting. Like, yeah. <laughs> legitimately loving it. And I remember um, parents' evening, and it was the same thing from every teacher, man. Uh, Easy distracted, class clown, try, thinks he's funny, tries to make people laugh. Uh, that was me and then she went to my drama teacher with my mum for parents evening and he went look I'll be honest with you I think Darren could have a career in acting I actually think he's good enough where he could be an actor and you know how you know your parents looks you look, look, <laughs> so I'm looking at as he's saying that I'm looking at my mum my mom's just doing this oh <laughs> oh and she's looking at me like you're this fucking idiot like, <laughs> like uh, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, God. And my mum, she, she was just like, an actor? She, just, she didn't even question me about it. It was just a thing that it's just, just didn't It's not a exist. thing,
2: is it? It's like, not a thing. Your parents are like,
4: what? What is that? My mum didn't believe I was a comedian until she, uh, her friends <laughs> saw me unmock the week.
2: <laughs> how, how long had you been a comedian before she sort of finally said I've been said, a comedian 11 years. <laughs>
4: She was like, I guess it worked out for you, huh? <laughs> it's,
2: like, yeah. it's such a mad career, though, isn't it? It really is such a mad career. A- and acting any of that, like, you know, my family are great, they do get it, but some, it's hard for them to understand. Like, why can't you be at the wedding? Why can't you be at the summons 40th? It's like, I just can't, I've got to work. Like, it's
4: exactly the same. When I was, because I started doing comedy when I was 18. And then me telling my mum, oh, mum, I'm going um, with, I'm, I'm off to Brighton for this evening from Birmingham. Which is <laughs> Birmingham <laughs> to Brighton and back the same night. We'd leave at like 3 p.m. We'd come back at like 1 a.m. And Mom's like, well, what are you doing? So, oh, well, I'm doing doing comedy at a gig there because it opens. For- so how much I pay you? I don't get paid. It's free. <laughs> it's, you went all the way down there and come back. Was, well, yeah, and that is that was literally my career for about eight years. Yeah, yeah. and that is comedy, and you know, for a lot of people, they don't really believe that you would do that for yeah. so long. It's like, we, it's like you Mad. know, you're actor, comedian, director. Director must be even stranger to try oh, and But People explain. don't
3: understand that at all, do they? I don't blame them, it's ridiculous. It's such
4: absolutely ridiculous
3: job, yeah. I was thinking about it today, I was like, doing it today because it's my job and as I was doing it I was thinking oh people are looking at me and I've just because I was actually just thinking what's a ridiculous job just tell, like, telling explain, people where telling to stand other people how it. to pretend <laughs> like what a <laughs> fucking ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> job when I said at school that's what because I, I knew I wanted to do it and I said yeah. at school I wanted to do it and the man went it was my 16th birthday and we were in a porter cabin in the um, car park <laughs> at school and I had to go in there and and he said um what do you want to do and I said oh I want to be a theatre director and he went Considered hairdresser. <laughs> and I was like, mate, look at my hair. No, I well, have You said it. I was going to say, hey, Jesus, that was his advice, and I was like, I'll give it some thought. And he went, okay, bye bye. That was it. Right.
2: So, so you're, so you're at school. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. Drama teacher said, all right, let's consider a career in uh, acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, your mum didn't look too pleased. What was, what, what's what happened? How did the how did you get to comedy from school?
4: So yeah, so I um, I did I didn't do very well in my sort of GCSEs. Um, did I, you do
2: A levels or anything? No.
4: Well, I did. Yeah, well, I did. I did the A levels. Um, so what I left and then I went to college because I feel like for a lot of people they feel like you have to go to college. Yeah.
2: What, yeah. Else. what else are you gonna what do? You're gonna like, gonna say, what you about. Do. Yeah, what yeah. are you
4: gonna do? So yeah. I went straight to college and I did a BTEC drama. Course and it was it was all right. Like I love drama, it was fun. Um, Problem was, wasn't really into anything outside of the actual practical acting stuff. Yeah, Yeah. the
2: writing bit. Yeah. Oh Oh, god, I can't remember.
4: I can't remember the guys' names. Look, I understand that they're legends of acting, but I don't give a shit, mate. Like, can I just do a cap? What is it? I can't remember what the guys' name. I think they were like the dude's called Stanislavski. (laughs) Stanislavski, that's the bloody one. And there's another. There's another one. That's a little. Chekhov. Chekhov. (laughs) Shit. No, uh, no, not Chekhov. There's an extra one. Shakespeare's. Brecht. That guy. (laughs) I remember all of those dudes and being like, not for me, and. And then we had to do like, we had to do like the stretching stuff as well. Oh, to stretching's like... very important oh, in acting, very important. Don't right.
3: forget breathing, breathing. Two hours
4: in a bloody cat position, fuck off Lovely. <laughs> the one thing that kept me in though was bloody, i tell you this now, EMA. EMA, Educational Maintenance Allowance. It was £30 a week, as long yeah. as you turned what? up to every class. No. It was, uh, yeah, it was Blair or Gordon Brown back then, if I remember correctly. It was labour, so.
2: Ah, cool. now. That's, well, I went to drama school during that time yeah. because my parents were like, stop auditioning for places, we ain't got any money. Um, and I said, well, I'm going to get a scholarship. I was just determined i will get a scholarship. And under that government, the Tony Blair government, that Labour government, nearly everyone was on a scholarship in my year. And that's, that's incredible. Now,
4: mm. sh- uh, no.
2: nothing. This is like really, really depressing.
4: Well, I use that to its full uh, max. You uh, got, but you got
2: £30 pounds just given to you. £30
4: pounds a week. as long as long So here's the thing, how EMA nice. works. Uh, educational maintenance allowance. Oh, God, it was great. Yeah. Every week, you turn, off, you turn off, obviously, you know, if you're late once, you do not get your EMA. So the problem was, wow. as good as it was, if I was late once, I was like, well, I don't want to do any of these lessons now. <laughs> <laughs> My 30 quid's not coming. My 30 quid's not there now. What's the, what's the point? Um, and, I, and then, yeah, not long after that, I got a job. So I was quite lucky because the guy who I was doing my BTEC drama with was a supervisor at a JD Sports in a place called Mary Hill. And that was your first job? And he got me a job at JD Sports literally about 10 days after my 17th birthday. So I was quite lucky. At £3.16 an hour. Um, <laughs> and I would do about nine to 12 hours uh, a week because I would go after uh, college. So I'd finish at, get there at half six, like half six till like half nine. Did you get free
2: sneaks when you were No, you, get, you
4: used to get 30% off. Oh, and okay. um, then I got sacked for stealing. Um, Are you st- <laughs> You're stealing trainers? I didn't. Here's the thing about me, right? <laughs> I, I talk a good talk, but I'm a bit of a coward when it comes down <laughs> yeah, to yeah, it. Brilliant. So I remember I took some trainers. Right, everybody was on the rub. <laughs> Everybody in there was on the rub Like yeah. bad rub like, It was like that BBC show Hustle It was like <laughs> A guy would walk in Buy a pair of trainers And there'd be a bag already under the table That was full of trainers and whatnot And he would just give him two bags as he walked out And it was like, turns out it was my friend's friend Obviously I didn't know about this But there was nine people in there who were all in Except me They told me about it And I was like oh, I'm going to do this So I grabbed a pair of the oh, most expensive nice. trainers in the back Hid them, put them in a place that nobody would know. Anyway, you know when you do something really, really bad or wrong, you're, you're, you're hyper aware of yeah. everything. I remember about two minutes after that, I heard a, a phone in the background and I'm like, weird. Supervisor walks across, goes there. Anyway, 10 minutes later, I go back. The trainers are gone from where I've hid them because I decided I don't want to steal them. I'm a chicken now. I, out. I yeah, like, I don't want to yeah. steal them. I want to go put the trainers back. I don't want to do this. Gone. Six weeks later, turns out, uh, they have cameras everywhere. Tell
3: people. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> fucking CCTV.
4: Yeah. We all got sacked. There was like, all nine of us got sacked. Really? Yeah, wow. yeah, But what annoyed me was, I didn't take anything. No. Didn't even get the fucking but shoes.
2: You, but you <laughs> did, but you did put them under the thing, babe. Like, I did,
4: but I went to put them back.
2: I went to, I was going to go. They didn't know that though, did they? I know. I, 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 I tried,
4: you really are a screw. I, love, <laughs> I know that. <man. laughs>
2: you I know,
4: big character. I, I, I tried to, I tried to get them out. But what annoyed me was the guy went, yeah, I mean, look, you know, everyone's young who works here. We know there's lots of fests. We don't tell people about cameras for obvious reasons. But, you know, if you've took anything, fine. You're fired. Just go. And I was like, no, but I actually didn't take Can it. Can I even... just
3: take the... Is there yeah. any chance of taking the train <laughs> my, that my, I was going to... No? My
4: one friend who was there for about three years said he took like four and a half grand's worth of stuff <gasps> in total. Wow. In total? Wow. And I'm like, what is going Not on? Not even one pair nah. of you know When I used
2: to waitress, I was really skin And um, someone told me that oh, when someone orders a coffee, just don't put it in the system. Just hand write it on the bill and then take that extra bit. Yeah. So I was like nipping a fiver here and there, like... Over, and um, I'd, I'd done a whole shift where I'd been doing it and I thought, I've got 50 quid to go out with here. I'm so thrilled. And my manager, caught the rec- she saw all the receipts in the bin with my handwriting. She was like, is the till down? What's going on? There's like 20 tickets here with you, like, with writing the coffees. <laughs> and I just, because I'm like you, I'm a cat. I'm really sorry, I just needed the money and going out the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> So, JD Sports, how do we get to comedy?
4: So I dropped out of B Tech drama and I was like, I felt quite bad. But then I had a an urge that I kind of wanted to do comedy. Now in my head I thought to myself, I can't do comedy until I'm 18. I just had it in my head that you need to be <laughs> you need to be 18 to be in pubs and bars and whatever. And then yes, I yeah. went back and did A levels the following year, which was garbage. I don't know why people even bother doing that shit. Waste of time. I Sociology, do- psychology, <laughs> psychology Fuck off. <laughs> Absolute garbage. Um, I mean, if you really want to do that, then it's great. Education. If is If anyone
2: kid. here is studying psychology, don't worry, keep going.
4: But I, I, it was—I should have stayed in the, the drama. It in made no sense for me to do it. But
2: when when you were at school, when you were at JD Sports, wherever, were people saying to you, "You're really fucking funny"?
4: Yeah, but it was—it was, it was um, before I knew I wanted to do sort of comedy. So it was—I knew that I had—I knew I had a—I was quite open back then and quite a, a, quite a strong personality. Um, so I always just thought, yeah, well, I'm funny, but you know, it's like, we all know people funnier than us who don't do comedy at all. Like yeah, right. my friends are hilarious people. So I just never really took it as that. Um, and then in college, as much as I hated college, there was a flyer on a table that asked, uh, that said there was like a, um, you know, a night where there's singers, dancers and well, like said, open mic, open mic thing, night yeah. and it said comedy. And I went, hmm. And at the time, I was sort of watching lots of, like, Dave Chappelle and, like, Def Jam, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I thought to myself, oh, I should give this a go. And I um, gave it a go around my, yeah, just a few months after my 18th birthday. And then so from did then... Did put anything together or you just get up and just... No, sort of... I had some... Yeah, I thought of some lines and stuff. But, I, you know, when, you re- when you're really, really new at comedy and very inexperienced, and most comedians you speak to will say this when they first started, they didn't know that you can keep the same material. So, yeah, yeah. So
3: yeah, right.
4: Every, Just changing it all the time. Every time I'd go on stage, I would change, change it, yeah. Change of course. my material. So that went that went well as well as it could go. But I remember that the following year, if I'm correct, was so I always date how long I've been doing comedy for in like a really old man kind of way. <laughs> by I remember doing comedy before the smoking ban. <laughs> So and if I'm correct, I think the smoking ban was 2007. Summer- 2007. Yeah, I used to be a
2: smoker. <laughs> me, me and Hannah, me and ha- me, me and Hannah used to be full on smokers, and, and we gave up after the ban. You stuck to it, I, didn't. I did. So yeah. I do remember 2007. yeah. that actually yeah. worked
4: for someone. You're yeah, it actually me. did work for you. Oh, it was great. But because
2: you had to go outside all of a sudden, it suddenly didn't seem funny more. And we, yeah, we made a pact, but I broke it. I'm I telling ended you, up though. Smoking again, but.
4: As a comedian, it was like night and day being on stage. You, like you, obviously be, you know, you don't know now, but back then. I remember doing a gig pre-smoking ban to smoking ban and it being 10 times better. Everything was different. You could see people, <laughs> people were more focused. My lungs was great. It didn't stink, <laughs> the the fags. Did it didn't stink, yeah. did didn't stink of fags. Yeah. And then from then, um, so when I started comedy, it was up and down. I went through countless jobs because the problem is, you know, um, uh, family couldn't support me. No. So I had to get a job and try and do comedy. Problem was, was that my comedy dreams were so much bigger then my whatever job I was doing. Yeah, so right. We, we would always, they would always say things like, well, you, you know, we need you here Saturday. And I'd go, yeah, I can't because I've got to go to Manchester to do this gig, but I'll make up for it. And then they would just get rid of me. And then I got into security. My first, secu- my first official security shift was for the royal wedding, Prince, Prince uh, William. What, and you'd never okay. done security before? No, Is that I mean...
2: me? Here for the royals, know what I'm doing. <laughs> You're all right with me, babe. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Hi guys, I'm wearing my new suit, first day. Anyway, here's the ring. Um, because it was a real wedding, there were so many security. I mean, I was literally outside a tube station right, telling okay. people to take the left.
3: Yeah, um, fine. You weren't at the end of the aisle. Yeah, no, no, no. no, way, no, no, no. no, yeah, yeah. no. My job, my job. I think we call it a steward now, do we?
4: <laughs> my job was so useless; they could have done it with a sign or strong winds. <laughs> like... <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> as n- no need for me. And then, so from then, security, what I loved about security, and I understand, I will, I will understand all of the arguments against zero-hour contracts. I get that completely, especially in terms of healthcare and all that sort of stuff. As a comedian, as a, you know, we, we don't understand what that is. I, back when I was doing security, um, a zero-hour contract was the fucking lifesaver for me because it meant I could do as many shifts as I needed to, take off, take yeah. off whenever I wanted to, and I could continue doing comedy and that's the only, I stuck with that job. I wish i had done started security at like 18 because it would have helped me so much more. And then um, I decided, so uh, I was going to kill myself in 2014. So I nearly killed myself. Uh, I say nearly. I got everything. I didn't actually go through it, but I was ready to kill myself. It's <laughs> another story. Um, and then uh, that was in April 2014. And then I just decided I have to make a change. I have to move to London to try and make comedy work out because it's killing me. Doing comedy for about eight years and it just not working out for me and working all these jobs. And then I moved to London in 2014, September 2014. I moved on my 26th birthday. And then a year later, I got signed to an agent in 2015, the same agent I'm with now. And it's been a fucking roller coaster since then, baby. Yeah, yeah. And, nice. Oh. Um, <laughs> but yeah I mean, it's, it,
2: it, it's a long journey of comedians isn't it because so many people go oh my god overnight success they do it a lot with actors or whatever but particularly it happens with comedians like you know I know a lot of comedians and it is for sure about a 10 year at least 10 years before you even get some sort of goodness out of it it's like a good 10 years and then suddenly we might start seeing you on telly we might start seeing you on the panel shows it's a long journey isn't it
4: yeah I think what's different now is and there's a lot more who are a lot shorter than that a lot more who are like four or five I you meant like short short, like short, short. <laughs> <laughs> is um, social media as yeah, well, yeah, so yeah, that's mean, changed I, everything. How do you feel about that? Well, here's the thing. I'm kind of I'm old school. I remember when I was doing comedy, I was like, "What's this MySpace?" How
2: do you know you How do you know you're, you <laughs> know you're funny by going
4: MySpace comedy page, guys? That's
2: amazing.
4: Yeah, yeah Me and Tom.
2: I, I had a MySpace page. You had a MySpace page, and we just old. Yeah. Yes, you old no. bastards. No, <laughs> I didn't quite understand it, but I had one.
4: Yeah, and uh, so nowadays the thing is. And I, I understand this with the, the sort of new school. Comedy is much broader now than it's ever been. You know, sure. you, think, you think comedian, you go stand-up. Yeah. Or like a comedy actor or comedy writer or someone who can come on a panel show and be funny. Whereas... Comedy now is like someone who can do TikTok videos. Yeah, yeah sure. Does but how do you know you're going to be
2: funny? So some of these people that are on TikTok. and Some, some, of, you know, is, some, some of these pupils who are on TikTok. <laughs> I thought, did I say push when I say that? No, just TikTok. old. Yeah, really old. old. But how do you know you're funny? Like, what if they get some big-ass gig that yeah. suddenly they're going to be live? How do they know their I mean, material is funny? People are liking it. It's really easy just to half-like half like something and half-laugh at something and go, eh, that's well, funny. But are you going to really find me funny for an hour in a room?
4: It, it happens a lot. So what, what the trend is now with a lot of, um, I'd say more comedy agents is... And I understand why they do this. If you are someone who's got a following on TikTok, could be for anything, or Instagram, could be for anything. Literally, you know, how many stupid accounts do you follow where somebody just does the same prank every time? Yeah. Like, but... someone's got, yeah. like,
2: 350 million, whatever, and they're literally just titting about. Well, you... And I had to beg to get a blue tick. Yeah. And I'm on telly. Like, I was doing loads of telly, and they're like, who the fuck are you? And I was like... I... I didn't actually want a blue tick. It was my manager. Like, we need to get tick. you a blue yeah, tick. Yeah, no, we but we they made want, like want to get a
4: blue tick because they kept going
2: it. on about the fact I didn't have a fucking blue tick anyway. So what happens is now
4: is they see that <laughs> they see that this person has like, you know, 300,000 followers or whatever. Uh, a, a lot of comedy agencies now will go to that person and they will say, why don't you join us? You know, they've got like some really good stand-ups on there or whatever. And they say, hey, you've already got what, you know, even people like me, want more of a need you've got a massive following why don't you just come and do five minutes open mics learn look just get good get used see, to it yeah. then put on a tour we can help you get some writers in yes. and then they will be making like six figures yeah. quite quickly because they've already got people who are willing to come and say it's very different to say somebody like a like a mo gilligan who was already a stand-up comedian, yeah. got a social media platform... And, and, then did, and it, it just yeah.
2: elevated him, yeah, that's all. But what all, they're doing yeah.
4: now is they're going, social media platform, and then they're saying, let's just get you in. And I've seen some of them <laughs> on stage, and they are terrible. Because, but, because, because but they're terrible because they're new. Yeah, and the they haven't done any, the 10 yeah. years of... And, their, I, also don't think, and, and they're strong. I also don't think they even really want to do it. The problem is, is that if you're really popular on social media... And That's quite a nice for, place to stay, in a it's, way, I suppose. It's, but, a nice, yeah. it's a nice place to stay. There's lots of money to make, really, because if you just do this one thing, how are you really going to monetize that? The best way to do it is a live live tour or something. So. I understand that. And I've seen... I've seen I a f- actually
2: feel a bit sorry for them. Do you know what I mean? Because they're being, getting out on a big stage and they're going, fucking hell, I'm not ready for this. But, you also, know what I
4: mean? but also a lot of their audience are first-time comedy fans. So right. they don't really know what to expect, which is, which is great for comedy because you're bringing people out who are new. So technically what their, you know, their newbie, beginner, stand-up type uh, attitude works better with them than it would on more of a seasoned mm. audience. But I can't get mad at it. I get it. It makes sense. I know, I know. (laughs) It's a genius move.
3: Let me ask you a question, because you were saying about coming to London at 18, yeah. and also I'm no, just 26, 26,
4: thinking, 26, Sorry. oh, you were 26 yeah, when 26, you came to London,
3: yeah. I was thinking about you saying that, like, back in your school, you'd never really noticed, like, how rich or not you were, because everyone was in a sort of similar boat, and it was just a bit of difference in shoes or whatever, yeah. but when you arrived in London, were you suddenly aware of yourself in a different way, like, having come from a... a yeah, a community that was all sort of like an, in a similar level, and suddenly you're in a big city
4: and completely. What, what I like about London is that you know, northeast, southwest, or whatever, it's completely different. Yeah, there's just yeah. complete different divides. I mean, yeah, yeah. you're one tube station away from just like, oh my god, what this this place needs help to, you know, affluent million dollar areas in London. And I've got live... a
2: friend who lives in North London. I think she's in tonight, and she never comes to South London. She's Like South, where's that?
4: Oh my god, she lives in
2: North London. If I have to, speak... are you there, Ellie? I can see you. Yeah.
4: <laughs> what what part of North London? Archway. Okay, yeah. So North London's interesting cuz like <laughs> Archway she hates- Archway, and then you've got like Islington, all those sort of places, quite nice. But then once you go down, you've got like the spiciest station in London for me, it's fin- <laughs> Finsbury Park.
2: Without it's a doubt, yeah. Fins- yes. Finsbury
4: Park is Spiceville, man. and it's, it's
2: got and it goes off into the o- an, overground on oh. the orange line, and it's I don't know what it. I don't know of, where I'm at with Finsbury Park. It's
4: one of those stations where I walk out and I go, what What have I walked into? What's happening here? <laughs> Why, uh, who's fighting now? What's argument? Ah, what's going on? Yeah, it's a, it's a, for me, it's like the spices. But that's funny because you're like a couple of stations away, and it just like gets Million, so, dollar-ville, yeah. Mil- yeah, million yeah. dollarville, yeah, yeah, Million Dollarville, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but when I moved to London yeah I moved into a house share and I was in that same house share for like six years how
3: did you
2: find horrible. me asking how did you like afford like London's like it's really pricey always has been even especially if you're coming from I, I don't know was it expensive in uh, Birmingham no, no. where,
4: where so, were you in, uh, uh, black country but right black country it, but yeah yeah where, where I was quite lucky was that even though my mum did not support my comedy dreams um, <laughs> how dare she <clears throat> at here, all there. My mum, and this is probably just a mum thing, she never charged me rent. Yeah. I, I think what, and that was a massive thing for me. So, my house, yeah. my mum's house is a council house. Uh, pretty sure she pays 350 quid for it, like a, a mum. She never charged me any of that. She works all the time. And I think, I think she knew that it would have been harder to charge me because she knew how irregular my work was yeah. with the comedy. Um, so, maybe
2: the, she did support you. Like, no, she did oh, support she it a me bit. in that sense yes yeah.
4: completely yeah, yeah my mum. Yeah. i always say that about my mom i said she never believed in my comedy dreams but she supported me enough uh, where i didn't have to pay rent <laughs> and i could run off because i know that if i had to pay however much rent she wanted i'd have to work more and probably cancel do gigs less so in in doing that i moved to london into a house share and it was 450 quid a month and that 450 quid was everything included sort of water electric and all that sort of stuff so uh, and I was quite lucky that the company that I've been working with, the one that I did the Royal Wedding with, the same company, they have loads of places in London. So I used to work at like, um, right. I, used work, I used to work, I used to work, I lived in uh, Wembley, so I used to work at Wembley Arena all the time. That was like a regular gig for me. I'd work there all the time. So I was making just enough. And then once I got the agent in 2015, that made all the difference because it was literally, I would get a gig hey, that kids. would, or, or a radio thing or a TV thing that would pay 200 pounds. You can't and, believe it, right? And, Oh my God! Let's get, oh, make it rain, baby! <laughs> oh my God! Where's the K's catalogue now? So <laughs> yeah, I had it. <laughs> so in 2017,
2: yep. and you'd gone to Edinburgh. With, were you with your agent then?
4: Yes. Yeah, so because how,
2: how did you afford Edinburgh? Because it's fucking mental, anyway. It,
4: I'm really glad you asked that. So yeah. the thing with Edinburgh is there's always a big talk about the Edinburgh Friends. I'm sure you know it's the biggest arts festival in the world. Um, it's like the longest as well isn't it it's like a month or whatever oh it's long especially throughout the are oh it's long oh she's long it's long so a lot so there is always a big debate about Edinburgh in terms of the prices of um, I mean the uh, uh, um, accommodation is mental you will stay in Edinburgh isn't there a
2: big thing going on at the moment about the festival coming up this year and how they've the the prices have like tripled, quadrupled. It, it's, it's like really yeah. bad. It's um, really bad. It's at, always been bad, though. It's always, but like, it's insane. really bad this yeah. year. Like it's like again.
4: You're looking at paying between about twelve to 13, twelve to sixteen hundred for this one place in Edinburgh, Scotland, for a month. Um, but that's not <laughs> that's not even the craziest money. So how so the way yeah, I yeah, right. the way I afforded Edinburgh is certain agencies do this where they will cover your upfronts. Mm. So um, just a few of the price things you have to pay for Edinburgh. One is photography. You need a photographer to take your photos. They you need the editing. You need to, you need to get a graphic designer to do all your get all graf- your posters printed up. Get your posters printed up. Get your graphic designers in. Then you need to pay for your venue. You need to pay something up front, which is about a grand for your venue little bits of cost. And all, and all of that, do you
3: really have to pay to be in the brochure? Then you've yeah, you got yeah, to pay to be in the, brochure, gotta yeah. be in the brochure and yeah, you got to yeah. pay
4: to be in a website as well. Yeah, yeah. Things. Then you then then.
2: pay some flyers, flyers if you can now, afford it or you that, fly yourself. That is yep. a big
4: money that catches people off guard. I was paying for my flyers 450 quid a week for, uh, for a month. I had to pay 450 because you need the right amount of flyers to get yeah. them in. So what my, what my agency does and some of the agencies is they will cover, if I'm, uh, if I'm correct, the first sort of free grand, which means it's just enough so you can get to Edinburgh yeah. and you've got everything else paid for, yeah. which is great. Now, what my agency do, and there, there are comics who have a go at this, which I, don't, I think it just depends on your agency. If your agency is acting like a bloody mafia boss yeah. about it, my agency, it was never even mentioned. They covered it because they knew that the work's going to come through. Don't worry. We'll co- it's all going to be covered. Even if your Edinburgh doesn't go well, it's fine. The right people have seen you. We'll get you more TV work. We'll get yeah. gigs. It was not an issue. And I really appreciate it. I would not have been able to do Edinburgh 2017 if they did not cover that first three grand. But yeah, there are yeah. other agencies that, that don't. I mean.
2: But also, it's not even just that, it's like obviously you've got to pay your rent and everything. And then it's yeah, not yeah. working for a month, is it? You are not working for a month when you're there. You're not earning money for a month. Well, I mean, when we no. went up, we certainly weren't. So the knock-on effect. <laughs> That's an awkward thing. Yeah, the, 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 the knock-on effect of that. I mean, when, when I went up to Edinburgh, my, my comedy partner, she's in tonight. Hello, love. Um, I hello, have. Bush. Here she is. Um, we, we, um, we didn't have anyone. that, that we, we spent, I think the first one was like nearly nine grand, but there was two of us. Yep. But we only got up there because there was two of us, and I think we got some free accommodation from someone or wow. something like that, like in some student uni thing, uh, accommodation. But it was like, beyond that, like, we can only really sustain about three Edinburgh's because we were so skinned. Yeah. And it, that has been a huge knock on effect in my life in trying to buy pay property, pay it back, pay it back things, like yeah. so
3: much debt. But it's not only that, is it? We talked about this quite a lot. And I think you mentioned, you sort of like touched on it earlier. It's not just the cost of getting up there. Because I think in, in doing this podcast and all the guests we've had, there There were a couple of things that, regardless of what our guests have done or what their story's been, that they have in common. And one is money. Yeah, like yeah. getting paid in this industry, whatever way you are in it, not getting paid, how long it takes to get paid, and how much you're supposed to pay for in advance. But not just the things you've mentioned, like the actual cost, accommodation, but, but also the space to make the work. Yep. like you get up to yeah. Edinburgh, and we spoke about this a lot, like with Vix, <laughs> and you, like how some people have taken six months off to write their Edinburgh show. You and Vix had been writing it late at night after you'd finished your shift yeah. front of house, yeah, like, that's because there yeah, just yeah. wasn't it's so yeah. it's not just the cost of. You know, it's the space that having money gives you to make it's the a, work as it, well.
4: It's a whole thing. That's, that's basically how it is. You've, gotta, you've almost got to play the game if you can. But in terms of the money, um, so you normally get your settlements back like November-ish from Edinburgh in August. Uh, I've been nominated twice, done really well. Never made money at Edinburgh. Yeah. I've, never directly no. met, I've never looked at my settlement and been like, boom, always in the red. Last time, 2019, I think I was in the red by £200. Oh, that's I, really well good going. going. That's I, amazing. And I jumped. I was like, oh my gosh, yes. And I've, I've, made, I've, made, I've made way more money from doing Edinburgh in terms of, you know, the shows that I've had, like Don't Hate the Players, But The Week, all that sort of stuff, all from Edinburgh because people have come to Edinburgh. Yeah, of course. So um, there's a lot of people who are, um, there's a lot of producers, you know, directors, all that, comedy heads, who are lazy, so what they do is they go to Edinburgh and get it all in. Yeah, because
2: yeah two weeks. Try, yeah, trying
4: to message them and say, can you come to my gig? And they, they will not come. But at Edinburgh, they will all come in. And the thing with Edinburgh is the TV festival is like the 22nd, 23rd, if I'm correct. Yep. So, like that. so then everybody's up there. And then you get everybody at your gig.
2: Do you think that's a good thing, though? I feel like that needs to change because you know there's so many incredible people that can't afford to get up there. And is that your only fucking opportunity? Is that your only opportunity to get spotted? It just seems unfair, you know.
3: Speaking of says, you do Edinburgh, right? And obviously, you know, get nominated. You get nominated twice, and it's not like a, a huge financial. Yeah. benefit but it has huge benefits obviously you start like getting tv offers and what's that like suddenly going into that well how did you feel going into that well suddenly like so your mum suddenly knows that you like you're a comedian because yeah. your na- her neighbors have seen you on the yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> so she might have to like suddenly believe it but like what was that like how did that change how did you feel suddenly like people recognize you they know who you are what's life like that
4: um yeah well i was i didn't leave security until I really had to, which is what everybody sort of does. I, yeah. I'll tell you, my... Would legal... you
2: worry about that? Because like, yeah. I know I have, leaving my actual sort of other, the other job, going, yeah. fuck, am I going to do it? Am I going to do it? Yeah. Because like, yeah, it's frightening,
4: isn't it? Well, I was like, I need one big paycheck, mm-hmm. and then I can take that leap yeah. of faith. And that big paycheck came from when I first did Live at the Apollo. So yeah. when I first did a spot at Live at the Apollo, I used to work there. That's so, so amazing. Yeah. I love that. That's so, so amazing. So when I walked in, I hey, I, I know, crazy, right? <laughs> ah, it's the same pin code. Ah, no. <laughs> <laughs> And because I'd not been doing my shift because things had been really picking up, and love you know, that so much. I was a bit of a I was a bit of a coward in terms of like I'm not coming back. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to go and leave them there. When I came home, I swear to God, when I came home from doing my live at the Apollo, my uh, P45 was there from my old boss. <laughs> and it, it just it was just there, and I was Aww. like, oh, okay, wow. I'm like, this is it. This now. is it. So it's happening.
2: Decision was made for th- you in a way. Yeah,
4: it was there, and I, I, I just, I remember it took about three months for the money to come into the bank. And I was holding on. Oh, God. And then i i never forget when it came in. I was like, that's it. That's it. I've done it. I think I, I can now focus on just trying to be uh, the best comedian I can be. And, and it, how
2: did that change the game for you, being able to go, right, I can just write today and just do that?
4: Well, I used to do, I used to, so what I was doing was I worked for that one company that was doing all the different venues, you know, the Roundhouse, O2s, all that. And then my main job was a night job. I used to work nights at the University of Westminster. And I used to do it 10 till six. So what I used to do was I used to do comedy, try and do an earlier gig if I can get on first, get changed in the uh, Burger King down by Leicester Square, uh, like Superman. And then I would run and then start my shift at 10. And then uh, it was literally behind my house. It just worked out that this union was right behind where I used to live. So then after that, I was just like, oh my gosh, wow, this is crazy. And then I just took a bit of time sort of
3: writing,
4: (laughs) yeah, writing, slept and I was writing, working on my second show. So that helped take up a lot of the time yeah. as well. But just, just going back to you, what you said about the, the writing shows and working and stuff. The problem with Edinburgh is, for a lot of comics, is between, uh, let alone just your general mental health, January, February, you're normally like, oh, should I do a show? Do I want to do a show? I've got <laughs> an idea for show. Sure. March, you're like, I'm doing a show. Um, then near the end of March, you get your photos done for your show. And then April, May, June, July are horrendous because it's you doing 45 minutes to an hour at various places all over the place. And the problem with that is, for, for a lot of us, is it's summer. So audiences generally do not want to be in the room. You're no, doing a lot longer than normal. Yeah,
2: not for an yeah, hour right? For an hour,
4: yeah. trying to work on your material. I always tell people, I say, the build-up to doing Edinburgh is horrendous. Once you get to Edinburgh and you start your show, it'll be fine because they're all in the mood to be there. But when you're doing it over the summer, it's horrible. And you're getting less money because there's probably going to be less audience members and you're doing new material for an hour. So promoters generally don't pay you as much. And with comedy, the money has not changed in 30 years. It's the exact same money. Well, like
2: gigging and stuff? Gigging like. money. Wow. Because
4: um, um, somebody put up a post last week and it had, it had um, people on there like Harry, Harry Hill, but it said Harry Hall, which was his old name back in like, the 90s. And it had a list. It had this woman's gig list of all these old comics. And we're looking at the fees, and we're like, "It's the exact, same thing. it's the exact same wow, as it was buggers. in like yeah. 1992. It, does, it doesn't go up at all."
3: That's mad. What does your mum think now about your comedy, like, and your life in general? Like, what does she? I'm buying that... a house. I'm yeah. buying a house. Yeah.
4: Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, I tell you though, it's taken a lot longer than it should because. <laughs> hey she's, listen she's you've done right. that's good she's too proud You're 33, though 33 like, that's amazing i'm like mom where's the that's paperwork amazing. can you fill feel yeah get, don't worry i'll get i was getting paperwork she's taking it. i think she's still she's a bit too prideful but yeah i'm um, definitely uh, sort of buying her house. i mean my mom you know she's been she's been on the she's been on the council now for like 30 odd years and my auntie same thing 30 odd years yeah and then once you run there that long, you get, you, you're able to, you can, buy actually, it, buy, yeah. Yeah, you can actually buy yeah. um, the house. But I just said, mom, let me just, Mike, she's in her, her mid fifties. And I'm like, mom, let me just buy a house. And then it's yours. Yeah. Like you just do what you're, I'm never going to live there. I don't want to yeah. live at that, that house again. That's amazing. So it's just, it's just there for you. And that's, she's really, yeah, she's really proud. She's really sort of happy about it. I think for her, because you've got to understand from my family's point of view, how weird it is that, April 2014, they found out I was ready to kill myself, mm-hmm. and I nearly, I nearly killed myself. And then March 2015, they see me. No, March 2016, I think. No, 2015 or 2016, they see me on Russell Howard's show <laughs> doing standoff. Yeah. And for them, it's just like wow, because they were. I was getting a lot of phone calls out like of messages when I first moved because they were still so worried. worried about you. Yeah, they were, they were still worried. And then yeah, it's just slowly been just getting. Well, just getting better, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's you know it's been really fun, and I always try and if I can, I always try and help out uh, acts because uh, I know a lot of like um, I've given acts some fees before at gigs because like you know acts you can always tell somebody who's like they're kind of struggling. Like I I was talking to one act and um, she was just saying oh I got paid da da da. And I was like, "Oh, great, man!" She's like, "Yeah." So I'm gonna use this twenty for food, and then oh, this twenty yeah. is gonna be. And I was, I felt, I felt, and I just said, "I said, oh, you can just, you can just have my fee. It's fine." And I gave her the fee because I'm just like, I know what it's like. I know the difference. Say, um, uh, like it was two hundred pounds. I said, I know the difference between, like, how how much a two hundred pounds is gonna change things for you for that week.
2: Yeah. Rather than yeah,
4: when you've got no money, I've been in that position. I was I was lent money from other people. We, we as talk well. about this
2: all the time about you know if you've never been without money, like truly, truly, like you know my 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 stepdad he lost everything and we ended up in a council flat. It was a moment where because we had a lot in the eighties. He was he was a bodyguard. Yeah. Um probably. and um yeah and, and had a security company and all that and lost everything. We lost our home and everything and um and I think when you've been there and you've had you've gone to those depths and you've had nothing, you've seen your parents struggle and really fucking hard. You don't ever forget that. But I think yeah. if you've never experienced being without, like I it's really hard to get people to understand that aren't from that yeah. world. Like when someone says I'm skint, is it you're that skint that you can't get on the bus or you that skint that you've you've dipped into your savings. Do you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah, and yeah, it's we not talk it's about not that how it is. It's just privilege and it's, it's not too I'm difference. not class fashion. It's just you saying that, is like, it's it's lovely to give back, isn't it? And yeah. to go, I fucking remember what it was and I won't ever forget that. And that's like mm. when we were talking in the dressing room about going, yeah, I mean, I'm not really working class anymore. I live a middle class life. I now own my own uh, property and I'm coming at this from a privileged place. But I'm so connected to my working class roots and I'll never forget that. Do you still feel really connected? Yeah. I think you do. The answer yeah, is yes, yeah, yeah. but yeah.
4: No, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I feel uh, very connected. Are you, what you've said there is just, like, you're very honest. Like, you've said, you know, I'm very connected to my working class roots, but I can't class myself as working class no, in yeah, that way. Can't. No, but I feel like, especially in comedy, there's so many comedians who are just liars. It's like... <laughs> it's like you're selling out arenas, and you're like, oh, yeah, I have a pee bucket oh, in the bedroom. I'm just like, oh, I was on a bus here, but you're not on a bus. Stop lying. <laughs> you're not on, bus. You not on a bus. You do not fly economy. Stop talking about it like you do... Just, just do past tense. Oh, when When I I was on the bus, (laughs) when I used to get on the bus. Tell you who I I absolutely love, like as a as a comic for their on Mickey Flanagan. Yeah,
2: yeah. oh, he's really brilliant. The reason
4: why Mickey Flanagan is like the king of the working class comedians of everyone. He acknowledges his privilege. He acknowledges it. He opened his show right, Mickey Flanagan. uh, Similar sort of thing to me. Both our dads was in prison, blah, blah, blah. Mickey Flanagan used to sell fish, trying to sell fish on the market in East London. You know, yeah, it wasn't easy for him. Mickey Flanagan stopped, opened one of his shows and just like, he's in an arena, you know? And he's like, I oh, know, working class boy done good, all that sort of stuff. And he's just like, ah. Oh. <sighs> I tell you, I don't know what to do with myself. I got myself a leaf blower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got, I got a leaf yeah, blower and yeah. he's like, I was just using my leaf blower oh, to blow away all the money. Just, <laughs> oh, just like the honesty. yeah. I don't know. I think, I think it's almost like the, this idea to thank poverty as comedians cause, uh, to try and connect. Because the thing is, when a lot of comedians are coming up, um, and even actors as well, I would say even actors are yeah. coming up, their fan base might be very working class or they support them because they look, it's a working class. Yeah, like
2: me, boy yeah. done
4: good. Yeah. Girl done good. One of us. Da, da, da. As they have got increasingly more successful, they then think that they still need to keep doing that to maintain their audience. And it's like, you don't have to do that. They like you as a person, yeah. probably for your honesty and whatever. The fact you've got jokes is, is just an extra. My, like my agent always says, people don't go to see comedians because they, they want to hear their jokes. They go to see comedians because they like them as
3: people. Yeah,
4: It's the same thing as people who have come in for the podcast because they like you too. That's why they mm. come here.
3: Or we bullied them into it. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a bit of that, Yeah. <laughs> I'm so nervous about running out of time. I've got such an important uh, question for you. I have
4: su- I'm such a ranter, and I apologize. No, 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 I've got, I've got such an
3: important, an important question. question. Okay, go on. Well, I think it's the same question. Do Am you I want to a ask bit it? heavy. Oh, no, okay. Well, I've got... an. Im- I've got. It's more important than your question. Okay, go on. You Fair. were saying I before the, uh, the show that you're, the next thing that you're doing is called Britain's Greatest Takeaway. Oh, yeah. And top I takeaways. wouldn't let you... What, Greatest Takeaway? Britain's Top Takeaway. Coming takeaways. soon in May. BBC Two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't let you tell me anything about it because I'm. So, t- this literally sounds like my ideal fucking job. Do you go around the country getting paid to have takeaways? Okay. <laughs> I, Can I come with you?
4: <laughs> I would say it's even better than that. Like what? they're all coming to us. Why? So we don't travel. So uh, okay, it's called Britain's Top Takeaways. It starts Monday, uh, 9th of May on BBC Two. It's hosted by Sarah Cox, and then there's me. Who is like uh, sort of sidekick jokey? Um, the way I would describe it is, it's imagine Off mixed with Gogglebox. Love oh it, sold, <laughs> sold. Thank you. So there's there's gonna there's um there's a load of like um, little pods, and we uh, loads of different pods, and each pod will have sort of a, a, a takeaway in there. there you know, a bunch of guys takeaways. Each episode is a different uh, delicacy. So there's southern fried chicken, there's burger, Jesus. there's India. And do you know what you're getting each week? Well, how it works is they will all put their menus. I then, via video chat, talk to five families. So there's the same five families every week. So you get to know the families. Oh, amazing. They then get to order. They get to look at, and go, oh, what do you think of the, uh, you know, what do you think of the southern fried chicken? And, oh, yeah, I think it's very good. And then I get to talk to the chefs with them and go, um... Linda and Keith want to know about your, um, your chips. Why are they called, whatever, you know, masala chips or whatever? And then they get to order all the food, right? The free course menu. Then we get to see it get delivered to them. They get reviewed eating the food like goggle box. I want to be Linda
3: and Keith. I'm literally, why the fuck are we not on this program? This is the best.
4: <laughs> then I phone them again afterwards, each one of the five families, get their scores. Everybody gets scores. And then we decide who has the top takeaway in you know that food so one that one, one of them's noodles and then yeah. we get to find out who is the winner of the best noodles here it was a great show right. well oh, i think
3: we're God. gonna do like a quick poll because we were sat backstage before and we were asking you well we were sort of going law was saying oh what do you think like most the popular takeaway? takeaway and you said don't say now but you said you know yeah what the answer to that yeah, darren question. was on the
2: wheel and there was a question which you got right i did it was the final question wasn't it uh, for the Don't wheel I won't give away but the whole thing um, <laughs> but yeah <laughs> so, so you, know, you know for a fact
4: <laughs> that's not out for a year um, so
2: <laughs> we'll just forget. asking just quickly show of hands for Chinese who prefers a Chinese oh only two well, who, who oh. thinks
4: Chinese is the number one takeaway in this country
2: anyone No, just one. one person at the back oh and two. Oh, three of you so three of you think okay what about Indian oh big show of hands okay wow. okay what else have we
3: got pizza I reckon Italian pizza.
4: What about like You time? know you're not getting
3: one. This time you was you're so enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> pizza. Like, you no, know, there's none here.
4: So go on then, tell us. Yes, yeah, so um, a study for January 2021 said that the most popular takeaway in this country now is Chinese.
2: Yes. Yeah. Those uh, three people were overt- right. Well done.
4: Overtook Indian. Yeah, Chinese is now the number one.
2: So the Indian used to be the, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got. A, I have got a quick question. Actually, um, is this your
4: deep question?
2: It's it's kind of deep. You can be it's, as deep as it's you it's like. It's just I don't actually mind. more like I'm just more intrigued. So, it's, I've just noticed it. A couple of um, working class comedians that we've interviewed. Um,
4: Who have you interviewed?
2: Uh, we just did uh, Tom Mayhew. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and I actually very recently and. I was looking at your reviews and his reviews, not comparing or anything. but um, was better. And his was so much better. Um, he had five stars. So, no, no. Um, and both uh, your reviews and his reviews, it said, uh, oh, yeah, funny, hilarious, articulate. And it yes. kind of fucking irked me yeah. because I just thought, would you say that about a middle class comedian? Yeah. Or someone that, didn't have a working class accent or something? <laughs> yeah. Does it bother you? It's just, it's just a question um, that sort of irked me a bit. That's yeah. a
4: very good question. I've never been asked that before. I don't think I'm articulate. I'm not very good with words. I think they probably just, I think it's probably that. They probably just look at me. Because you got to understand these reviewers.
2: Everyone's gasping, you're wrong.
4: I don't think I'm very <laughs> articulate. Shut I up. Think,
2: of I, you sure? Th- do, do, do you think that's a working class thing, though? Like a kind of, oh God, no, God, no, I'm not. That's good. not well, the I, right words. Maybe, yeah. that's what, maybe that's what it is. Maybe education I'm. education thing. Like, yeah, maybe in know. my
4: head, I, when I think of articulate, I think of people who like read books often or go to university and all that sort of stuff I, I don't really do any of that sort of stuff at all i mean i read books like marvel but i'm, I'm not so i don't see myself as articulate in that way it, may, it might be because maybe they you know a lot of the reviewers are sort of very partial i mean if you can make a living being but people a reviewer need to stop doing that no like, it does happen a lot yeah
2: yeah and I just—it sort of irked me. I thought sort of, we spoke about it the other it's day. I think it's didn't
3: obviously we? meant as a, uh, a compliment, isn't it? But it's such a backhanded compliment, and I think it oh, often so comes from a—it comes like. from a place of low expectation. My, you know yeah, what? You know, oh,
4: you know some words. Very th- well done. You know what? Now that you, now that you've said that, it has kind of pissed me off. <laughs> 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 but,
2: <laughs> you better let your agent know, because um, It's on their website. I, I,
4: that will get changed now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to use that. No, now that I think about it, I'm like, yeah, it's because it's basically, it'll be a very sort of posh. You've got to think, it's somebody who writes reviews as a, for a living. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're, but... you're not coming from a sort of working class, but it's yeah. a posh person. They're looking at me as a young sort of black kid with a, you know, sort of Westminster accent. And they go, oh, it doesn't sound the way I expected him to yeah, sound. Yeah,
2: well, do you know what? Change your fucking yeah. tune, I say. Sorry.
3: Woo! Not you, not you. Yeah. <laughs> all right. It's a strange way to wrap up, but okay. Um, <laughs> do
2: you know what? I could keep going all night, um, but we can't. We we always finish the show uh, asking our guests um, who they would like to celebrate this week, a working class hero of theirs. Who who would that be for you tonight, David? Um
4: Yeah, I'm I'm going to be the annoying person, and um, uh, I just I. I <laughs> It's gonna sound cheesy, but I just want to um, use this to say that I um, I'm forgetting my words here. You see, articulate, huh? Yeah.
3: <laughs> um, <laughs> Scrubbish. Take, <laughs> <laughs> take it back. Take it back.
4: Can I can I say comedians in working class comedians? Um, of course, you can. Just because it, it's it's so hard to start making money to live off. If you're not... Because not everyone's good at, say, social media, Mm -hmm. admin. Mm -hmm. Some people aren't good at, you know, booking gigs. And I just think it's so hard to do... It's so hard to work a job, a full-time job, and then do this other hobby that you want to be, you know, a job at night. Yeah. And then wake up in the morning and you're traveling and you're not getting paid. And a lot of the time... There are promoters who will say things like, hey man, I'll be there. I'll be there to see your set. If you do well, I'll book you. You go mm-hmm. there, they're not there. Mm-hmm. And then you message them and they go, oh, I couldn't make it. Sorry, how did it go? And you're like, oh, I did well. Okay. And you don't hear from them again. And I think that, and there are, there are definite heroes in that, in terms of, you know, people who would drive me as a, as a, as a, <laughs> as a teenage boy and ever say, oh, don't worry, we'll do a gig together. But because he's an open spot, I'm not going to charge you petrol. Yeah. I'm getting paid, don't worry about it. A lot of those, there was a lot of those people who were so nice to me and they really helped me. Actually, you know what? Let me say those are the heroes. Those, the, the, the other comedians who would do little things, little things that would make a difference. Like, for example, they would pick me up from a house and they would drop me up from a house. Whereas sometimes, you know, and I didn't mind, they would say, you know, can get you meet me here? To, yeah. Get yourself to my house. And sometimes they would live a few, a good few miles away and I'd get there. But the ones who would pick me up from my house, it was just little things like that would make such a difference yeah. for me and would help me. And if they didn't charge me petrol, and I would always offer, you know, I didn't want any freebies necessarily. But um, yeah, I would say, yeah, I'm, I'm going back now. I would say just any working class comedian, because it's, it's not easy and there still isn't any sort of especially with Edinburgh, any sort of proper support, su- support for no. you at all. Um, yeah. What? Or my nan. Yeah.
3: you got to get your nan in at
2: the end. <laughs> Can you just quickly tell us a little bit about your nan? Just a little
4: bit. Oh, my nan's great. Um, she's really fun. Yeah, she came here in the uh, 60s. Um, she had seven kids. She had to leave one in Jamaica before she oh. came as a youngster. And he's only recently, he's now back in the country. So he's, oh. he's now like... So she left, she had to leave him when he was one to get a better life here. She had six kids here, my uncles and aunties. I've never met this guy until a month ago. And I'm like, and he's now 61. And it's really nice because my nan, she she was a carer for 45 years. And she's, you know, my, it sounds bad on me, but my nan taught me a lot about caring and being, my nan's saying, and I'll never forget this, is if the door can shut, they can stay. That's my mm. nan's thing. Oh my God, I
3: love I that. And
4: that. she would always say that and my nan's house was always a place where we oh would all God. go. If I, I fell out with my mum, I'll go to my nan's house. Always invited up there. Everybody was there and it's always just been a central place. So yeah. Um, you know what? Screw the comics. My nan.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and um, and what's, what's your nan's name?
4: My nan's name. So uh, because she's uh, Jamaican, there's, there's uh, 17 names. Um, so we always call her Joan.
2: Yeah, but, but that's it's not, not her name.
4: That's not her name. <laughs> that's not her name. No, her name. Her name is so much better. Her name's Daphne.
2: Oh yes. wow! Yes. Oh. Well, Daphne. we're celebrating Daphne, Joan, um, <laughs> as well as you today, Darren. Thank you so much for coming on. We thank really, really, really appreciate it, guys. Give it up for Darren Harriet. Yeah. Just to let you know, folks, the Proper Class podcast is now going weekly and continues next Thursday, where we have the one and only Vicky McClure joining us. Say what? Yes. So be sure to tune in. It's a real call cool for that one. And whilst I've got you here, please don't forget to like and subscribe. Spread the word. Tell your friends, neighbours, whoever will listen. We've also got an Instagram page. Ooh, get us. And you can follow all the news and goss at The Proper Class Podcast. And if you haven't nodded off yet, we've also gone and got ourselves an official email. So do get in touch. The email is properclasspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, folks. And remember, keep it classy. The Proper Class Podcast is produced by Michelle Farscott for Rangabee Productions, edited by James Torrance, with music by Tommy Music. This live podcast was recorded as part of the Hoxton Hall class season, which is running until the 28th of May. So get down there, folks, and be part of the conversation. It even includes their very own live soap opera called Hoxton Street, which apparently is brilliant. So get booking, folks. Hoxton Hall are a charity and they're heavily reliant on donations. So in order to continue their brilliant work in providing opportunities for emerging artists and to maintain their youth arts educational programs, they do need help. They need donations. So if you can give anything, folks, please pop on their website and give what you can on hoxtonhall.co.uk.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better?